Well, here we are on the fifth of the seven letters to the seven churches. And today is the church at Sardis. You may or may not know anything about Sardis. But let me just say in October that we're in, we have a lot of Halloween emphases. And I just saw a advertisement that came across the TV that said this is the final season of The Walking Dead. <laughs> the title of the sermon is The Living Dead. And if you were to pick out any church among these seven, Sardis would be the living dead, the walking dead. I would think it probably the first church of zombie land, okay? Because these are representative of all churches that, that you may or may not be familiar with throughout our world that are simply going through the motions. It's a sad church. It's one that is not commended at any point. There's a tiny group of people who have remained faithful, but that's it. I want you to look with me in the third chapter of Revelation, first six verses. The Bible says to the angel of the church in Sardis. Sardis, what kind of city was that? What kind of town was that? You see, Sardis had its heyday it's in the 6th century B.C. Sardis was the capital of the region called Lydia, and Cressus was the king at that time and was extremely wealthy. There was a time in America where uh, there used to be an expression called, uh, he was as rich as Cressus, and... Uh, it was an old expression that referred back to this king of the 6th century B.C. It was located 50 miles east of Ephesus. It's on the junction of five main trade routes at that particular time. It was a very important center for trade, known for the manufacture of woolen garments. And it is said that throughout the town, or you could see all these Garments that had been dyed, different bright colors uh, being displayed throughout the city of Sardis. It was built on an acropolis, kind of a, a little uh, hillside which was actually 1,500 feet above the valley. And on three sides of that city, there were steep cliffs. And these steep cliffs, these steep cliffs were considered in, impenetrable by any kind of invading army. Unfortunately, on two different occasions at least, the Persians and the Greeks conquered the city of Sardis simply by scaling these cliffs because those sides of the city went unguarded. Important for you to know that because of what we're going to see here. It was the seat of worship for Sibylle, who was the goddess of sex, and so their worship services were very orgiastic, if you will. And so we want to pick it up here with the uh, scripture that says, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. So the first thing that we want to mention about this particular church 
is its reputation. And it had a reputation for life and vitality in the times past. I'm thinking back on some churches that I preached in, churches that I've become acquainted with, some very recent. It is a sad thing to see some 7,000 churches a year shut down in America. Some of them need to shut down, in all fairness, because there's no life. Sometimes we see these giant oak trees in the front, and it just takes a, a great wind to, to push them over, not because of their shallow roots, but because of the decay that has continued on inside of that particular tree and has weakened it. That's what was transpiring there at the church at Sardis. There was an internal decay. And Jesus said, I know your deeds. We all need to understand that Christ Jesus understands and knows our motive for service. He knows who we are. We, there are no facades that we can put up in front of him that he doesn't penetrate through. There are no masks. There are no pretensions that we can excuse ourselves in his presence. He knows. He knows our hearts. He knows when we serve out of love. He knows when we serve out of, out of sheer uh, expectation. He knows when we serve because we don't know anything else to do but serve. I picture Sardis as in 21st century today as being a church that goes through the motions. It was established some years ago, maybe 150 years ago. They established programs then. They're continuing to do it today. They don't know why they do it. They simply just check it off. When it comes to budget time, they continue to budget these particular programs that are completely ineffective, unspiritual, perhaps. Maybe they're not reaching a single soul for the Lord. But it doesn't matter because generations before them, it was begun and seemed to be important then. We don't know why. We simply serve in that capacity. Maybe it's because our parents did it. Maybe it's because somebody else had asked us to serve in that capacity, but we're going through the motions. This is a church that, that really should alarm all of us, this living dead, for life and vitality. I know your deeds. The church was living in its former glory. It was what we would call today nominal Christians. Nominal means name or in name only. These were those that continued to function in a way that the community thought was high service perhaps or some kind of service to the community. They had done it before. They had a history of service to the community. Oh yeah, we know that church. Nice people there, you know. But they haven't made any impact whatsoever for the Lord Jesus Christ spiritual decay and death he continues on in that verse he says you have a reputation of being alive but you're dead when you look in the mirror every morning or in the evening what do you see do you see life do you see someone spiritually who is alive in the lord do you see when looking back at you is that reflection a reflection of something that's alive and valid and on fire? Or do you see something that's about to die? He says, 
you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. Is about to die. How do we know? Not dead yet, but we're, that church is on life support. I recently came in contact with a church that, with a church uh, capacity of some 375 worship. They were rocking around 12 had no desire to do anything different from what they have been doing. And of course, the old saying is, you do the same thing you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. But the problem with it was, is that spiritually they were dead. The community left them alone. They had their own building. It was paid in full. They had their own little programs. They'd get together as a dozen or so people and gather together for what reason? Because they had always done it that way before. Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States. He was considered an extremely quiet and reserved man. He answered questions in two or three word responses. He earned the nickname Silent Cal because of his stoicism. In 1933, news came that Coolidge had died. Columnist Dorothy Parker of the New Yorker was told of his death, and her response and her acidic reply was, how can they tell? <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. Spiritually speaking, if someone were to say that spiritually you had died, would the response back be, how can we tell? If this church no longer existed here, or those of you that have joined us online, if your church no longer existed, would it make any difference in the community, in the world? Would it have any impact whatsoever on anybody's life if that church ceased to function? At Sardis, Jesus said, this church is all but dead. And I know your works. And I know you're doing it just out of habit. When you came to worship this morning, do you expect to encounter Jesus? When you came to worship this morning, did you expect the Holy Spirit to move among us? When you came to Bible study this morning, did you expect to see anything in the Word of God? Or was it just a matter of a fraternal organization with friends? Couldn't wait to see. I always sit in the same seat with the same friends. When it's over, I can't tell you exactly what was taught. But I really enjoyed seeing my friends. What was your purpose? This is not an easy uh, sermon to hear. It's not an easy church to look at. William Barclay, theologian, put it this way. A church is in danger of death when it begins to worship its own past, when it is more concerned with forms than with life, when it is more concerned with material than it is with spiritual things. 
This is what happened in Europe. I've been in some of the great cathedrals of Europe. They're beautiful. They're ornate. They're gorgeous. The pipe organ is just splendid when, it, when its tones ring out through the rafters of that cathedral. And yet you only see a handful of worshipers. You see that, that reformation that began to stir the church and the people came to know the Lord and, and the Lord moved through the church at that particular point. And Luther and Zwingli and all the others that followed had that revival experience. But then generations passed and it just set in to be the same old, same old. And the church as you visit it today is dead. Some of them don't realize it, but it's dead. It's the living dead that worship there. We had the same thing in, in, in 18th century America when we had George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and some of the great awakenings that, that went across this land. Services would go on for hours and, and entire communities would be transformed with the, by the glory of God in their relationship to Him. You go back to some of those same churches and it, they're polite, but they're non-invasive to the world for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They simply have done what they've done and they get by with it. The, the thing about Sardis is it had no opposition. You don't see any opposition from the Jewish community. You don't see any opposition from the other religious community. You don't see opposition from the business people. It's kind of like sometimes when you go into a restaurant and you see a banner there for a particular club or group that meets on a certain day during the week or month. And they have their little flag. They have a little banner. Most people say give them the corner of the restaurant. They're nice people. They eat and they leave a good tip and, and they'll, they'll leave and a little less will happen. So we've got our little corner of this world right here. And I just pray that we shake the gates of hell in the days and months yet to come. I don't want to be a church that is seen as being active, but active about things that we've always been involved with for the purpose of simply keeping those things, those activities alive. Wow. Well, the second thing Jesus says, remember. In verse 3, he says, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. Repent. Wake up. Wake up. Be watchful. This is the capture of the town. Jesus is referring to Sardis as two previous captivities that came because they left their, their cliffs, three sides of their city, unguarded. And this is where the enemy came up to their unguarded area and captured the city. Be careful with, with our congregation, with your own personal individual life, that you don't leave any aspect of your life or the life of this congregation unguarded. Now, congregations, church families are comprised of people. 
And we're only as strong as the members allow the Holy Spirit to empower them to be. So here we are, folks, as a family, as the body of Christ. Jesus is telling us, wake up. Remember, are we sleepwalking through our life with Jesus? Ephesians 5, 14 says it this way, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. They had no persecution because they were no threat to the world around them. When you're no threat to the world around you, Satan's going to leave you alone. Because you're not making any inroads. You're not making any difference for the kingdom of God. You're certainly not confronting Him. Sometimes confrontation is a good thing for a congregation simply because when we're out confronting the evil forces that are before us, we're able to sharpen our witness. So don't ever think that the absence of turmoil is always necessarily the blessing of God. So here we are. Wake up. Psalms 105.5 says, Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, the judgments He pronounced. Wake up to our spiritual condition. Wake up to our relationship with Jesus. Wake up to the world condition. Wake up. We're in a world where literally Christianity has gone to sleep for some 2,000 years. Now, it's alive and well in certain parts of this world, but in segments and in spots, it becomes very vital, very vital to the uh, belief of this people. You see it. And it's usually with some of the confrontation is in an underground situation, as in China. You have 100 million plus Christians that are meeting in house churches. It's not the state-recognized churches that are doing anything there. It is the underground church that understands we are at war with spiritual forces that are out to combat anything that Jesus stands for and we're here wake up to your spiritual condition and then he says repent look at verse 3 he says remember therefore what you have received and heard hold it fast and repent change your mind that's what repentance is all about it's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction that change of direction is conversion That repentance, that change of mind says that I have done everything I wanted to do in my own way, in my own time, in my own schedule. Now that repentance says, Lord, from this point forward, I'm going to let you be in control. You are master. You are Lord. You are God. And from this point forward, I turn my life over to you. It's no longer my life. It's your life. It's no longer going through the routine. It's no longer going through the things that we've always done in the way that we've always done them. It is a matter of laying our lives on the line and saying, Lord, I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice. Me, Lord Jesus, in your will is where I want to be. And so here we have this, this opportunity as a congregation and as individuals to understand that repentance is necessary. Strengthen what remains. That word literally means to make stable because he says, hold fast. I know your deeds. Evidently, there's a little 
segment. I have seen churches that just would give you frostbite by just being a part of their congregation. You walk in and you feel the chill. You know, I've got a friend of mine, I was talking to him last week actually, who went to a Bible study class, a Sunday school class of adults, and no one spoke to him. He told me, he said, I went there for six weeks before anybody spoke to me. I said, why would you go there six weeks? He said, because I wanted to see how long it would take. I have actually been guest speaker at churches where I have sat on the front pew waiting for somebody to say something to me, uh, knowing that I was the guest speaker. And yet, there they are. Wake up. Repent. There are, there are lives that are waiting, begging to be transformed by the touch of Jesus Christ, and you and I are the ones that are going to be the transforming person for that individual to carry Jesus Christ into that home, into that, that experience. All, every day, every day, I pray that, that you and I will become more susceptible to the movement of the Holy Spirit, not just in Sun City Center. But you think about, when I look out over just this crowd, not mentioning the ones that have joined us online, but when I think of the number of people that you have contact with throughout this nation and world, and the uh, contacts and the relationships and the influences that you have over so many people, how we could be a force for good, for God, for His kingdom, if we simply became obedient. Well, he says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. It is said that when, they, uh, when people went to worship civilly or some of these gods, they, always, they could not approach this particular altar with soiled clothes. So Jesus is saying the same thing holds true here. He says, there are a few people in every congregation whether those who have recently come to know Christ or those who are really have a movement of the Spirit in their lives and all of a sudden their lives are being transformed, they really want to see that church changed. They want to see the community reached. They want to see their neighbors and beyond impacted for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you feel like you're that remnant, that minority. Maybe you feel like, you know, I come here and I, and I see people who are content to come one hour a week, and that's it. They're, they don't study their Bible. They don't have devotional time. They, they have no prayer time, and, and yet they go through the motions. Billy Graham said the widest fields in America today are in the pews of the churches. Because I hate to tell you this, but the fact is that you're not going to heaven because you're a Baptist. You're not going to heaven because you're a Catholic or a Presbyterian or any other thing. You're not going to heaven because your name is on the roll of a church or that you have been baptized as an infant or even as an adult. None of that gets you 
into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven is your relationship with Jesus Christ, period. He is the only way. He is the only door. He is the only process through which we can have access to God the Father. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, or if you think that because of your relationship with a church or a denomination, or because maybe you think your parents were such strong Christians that somehow through osmosis or your DNA you've, you've inherited Christianity, it doesn't work that way. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He says, I know there's just that a few of you that left there who have not soiled their clothes. Here's the promise. You got three promises to those of us that remain faithful. You'll walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. You'll be dressed in white. White symbolizes purity. White symbolizes victory. And it's said by one theologian that in a, in a city that is known for its dyed wool, that white garments would stand out among all of them. Can you picture that? Oh, I can. You'll stand out among all of creation. And Jesus says, you'll see me as I am, for you'll be like I am. Like I am. Promise number two, your names will never be blotted out. He says, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. I will never blot it out. Do you understand that that word for never in the Greek language is the most profound, emphatic word for a negative that's used in Greek? It literally can be translated, you will never, never, ever, under any circumstance, be blotted out of the book of life. You talk about the security of the believer. If you truly trusted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your name is in the book of life. Nothing can erase that from the book of life. Amen. And then finally, the Bible says, Jesus says, I will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Can you imagine? Jesus welcoming you in and saying, wow, here's Tom, here's Bob, here's Sue, here's Cindy, here's Mary. and Angels? These are my friends. These are those for whom I died. They are now children of God. Angels, honor them. Father, receive them. Can you imagine that scene? Wow. So, the night of the living dead is experienced, unfortunately, every day across this world, across this nation and across this world. And the living dead are those that really think they're alive, but they're not. Those who think they know Jesus, but they really don't. Those who think that by some reason, some rationale, some, some experience, that experience or that, that relationship with a church or that relationship with other believers or whatever the relationship with is going to be sufficient. But the enemy is working the decay on the inside of that individual and that church. 
and it will ultimately fall. Here's the thing. Jesus said, let him who has ears, let him hear. In other words, listen up. Receive what I'm saying, Jesus is saying to us. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to be in that believing crowd that Jesus introduces to the angels and to his Father. You'll be clothed in white. Your name will never be written and erased out of the book of life. But the question is, do you know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely entreating you, begging you, that if there's any doubt, any question whatsoever in your heart about your relationship with Jesus Christ, square it away today. Don't let another moment go by where there's doubt. So many people come to that place in the end of their lives, and I've talked to several here uh, in this community that when they come to that place they want to know the assurance of their salvation they, I've heard them say to me I'm a little scared how do I know if I'm really saved how do I know and I go through the plan of salvation with them do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior have you absolutely repented of your sins you put your faith and trust in him you've asked him to come into your life as your Lord and Savior if the answer to that is, I don't know, or I'm not sure, clear it up today. You are a member of the body of Christ in this church family. This church family is only as good as its members allow the Holy Spirit to use them for His glory. So let it happen, folks. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You never followed Him in baptism or public profession of faith. You've tried to be a secret believer. That doesn't work. Jesus died publicly for you and me. The least we could do is live publicly for Him. And then finally, there are those of you that are looking for a church home. We've got a great place here. We, uh, I'll be here to pray with you at the front about any of these decisions. Anything that you want to pray with me about, I'll be here at the front to pray with you. I'm praying that when you look in that mirror, when you allow the Bible to become a reflection of your life, that you recognize whether you are truly part of that remnant, part of that minority of people that truly trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and not the other part, the living dead. Would you stand with me for prayer? Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for this day. Be with us now, Lord Jesus, and I thank you for these decisions that are in the process of being made. There are those here, those online that are listening to this message. Lord God, thank you for what you're accomplishing. Father, we lift these decisions up to you for your glory. Lord, Take our lives and let us be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Yes. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. As we sing the hymn of invitation, I'll be here at the front to pray with you about any decision the Lord has laid on your heart. Won't you come?